thank you for your busy schedule. Found some time in. Um, I know with the season just ending and everything and um, COVID and you guys having to completely change seasons. So I just want to say thank you first off for, for doing that for me. And um, uh, for anyone who does not know who Coach Fisher is, uh, he's the University of Pitt head, head women's volleyball coach. Um, I've watched him for a few years when I was in Pittsburgh came to a few games. I uh, actually got the chance to come and watch you guys play at NC State. Was it, I think, last year, year before? Um, which was actually really cool to actually sit with some more people from Pittsburgh that I haven't been around the scene in some time. So, um, But he's many, many accolades, all different levels, um, coaching around the nation, playing around the world. Um, what's really brought you into the sport well well thanks for uh for having me on and um we did uh struggle to find a good time so glad we're doing this um so what brought me into volleyball initially is that your question mm-hmm. uh well my you know i grew up in santa barbara california and my earliest volleyball memory I mean, so i you know i was around it my parents didn't play but yeah i would see people at the beach playing my earliest volleyball memory was uh, the 1984 Olympics uh, were happening in LA. So my parents let me stay up late to watch um, uh, the gold medal match of the men's Olympic team. And there was a guy from Santa Barbara, Karch Karai, and I remember they did a whole profile on him. And, and so from an early age, I didn't know anything about it, but um, I guess I just knew that, that this was cool. I really like just looked up to these guys. So, so for me, it was never like, uh, you know, anything other than, you know, it wasn't a girl's sport. It wasn't something fringe. It was, it was something that I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then my brother started playing, uh, I think in the eighth grade. And then when he got into a junior, like into high school, he was on the freshman team. And so I learned by peppering in the backyard uh, with my brother. That's, that's, I don't know. That's just cool. I know there's never really, from, from all the people I've talked to through this, there's never this, um, we'll say, mainstream way of getting into it. It's not like baseball, soccer, football, where you're kind of like, oh, well, we all grew up playing as kids. I mean, I've noticed when you get out towards the West Coast in Hawaii, it's a little different. Um, but coming out, especially for me on the East Coast, it was, you know, I kind of got dragged into it. So, um, can you just uh, speak kind of to... I know this is a very loaded question, but um, how you've maintained that level of athleticism and competitiveness within your program to stay more or less in the top 10 for the last three, four years. Well, um, the short answer is, I don't know. <laughs> Cause there's a, you know, there's so many factors that go into winning, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you what uh, my best guess is. Um, you know, uh, we, you know, I, as a coach obsess about the level in my gym. And so, you know, we are striving, you know, we believe in teaching, you know, fundamentals. We work on that every day. We believe in having a competitive practice environment. Um, but we're just, we're trying to get the level in our practice gym to where we're playing every day at a level to win. And so that way, when we get to a game, we don't need to, to find, um, you know, something new. And so I think, um, 
just this, this having a high standard in our practice gym is probably the single most important. Um, and then, and then you got to sprinkle in all the other things of coaching, right? Just the, you, you know, just the relationships, with the players, um, you know, the relationship I have with, you know, my assistants and, um, and I, I just think a lot of things goes into winning, but if I had to single to one, it would be the level in our practice gym. Okay. And I know I've just from, especially with the, the blow up of the, uh, Michael Jordan, um, short with, you know, the last dance and talking about how he practiced harder in practice than he'd ever have to deal with in actual match or actual game. I mean, I think that still bodes well with all sport, all athletics. And I know I try and do it with, especially the younger, younger athletes, like 13s and 14s to get them to understand that. Um, when, when you conduct practice, what's the, uh, I know there's a big focus on like uh, mental training now with uh, sports psychology is taking a big boom. Um, what's your take on that? How do you, how do you handle it? Well, I think mental training is huge. And um, uh, I, I think every time we step in the practice gym, we are, we are engaging in, you know, mental training. Mm -hmm. That being said, if you really want to make big jumps with your mental game um, and want to surpass someone, you need to be deliberate and actually make time in your day to do it. So what, and there's a lot of different ways that we encourage our athletes to do it. Um, you know, journaling is a great one. Um, you know, the meditating, uh, we, we work with, uh, uh, Bernie holiday, who's, uh, the head of mental strength with Pittsburgh pirates. And he, he does a session about once a week and has the girls all have access to him. And so he has a million, um, you know, activities they can, they can engage in. But, but the main thing is, um, um, you know, just, uh, in the same way you set aside time to, you know, to lift weights or to work on your passing. I mean, you need to set aside time to, to work in your mental game. And so, um, that looks a little different for everyone, but, um, yeah, big believer. Yeah. And I've noticed that, especially when, um, uh, talk to Jeff Samuels, read pretty, they all like, they, they were huge on making that hour, two hours, whatever you needed, either when you got up, before before match, before practice, after practice, to just, I guess the easiest way is to just center yourself mm -hmm. and kind of find that positive note of maybe if it's just for the day or, you know, why you're doing this still. Um, how is it, because I know, I know when it comes to coaching, and there's obviously you have a, a lot longer career when it comes than playing. Um, what's the physical toll between playing and you know playing professionally when you did and then now going into your coaching you know career i don't know if i understand the question um so what's been more taxing is it is it been coaching or has it been playing um well i, I would say coaching's probably been a little bit more taxing mentally <laughs> like uh, you know the and then, uh, you know, playing certainly was a little more taxing on my body. Although I got talked into playing in nationals a couple of years ago in the forties division, tore my ACL or my uh, Achilles. And so uh, <laughs> I'm, I think I'm officially retired now. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, the, the coaching part of it, I think also depends on, 
you know, like when you just say, I'm just, I'm coaching. Well, I think, it, you know, your, your burn rate as, as a head coach, the leader of an organization, when you manage people and uh, is different than, you know, the grad assistant. Or, so I, I think, um, you know, the, the, everyone has a different experience with it, but definitely um, more taxing uh, mentally and emotionally as a, as a head coach of a power five than a, than it was as a player. Although as a player, um, it's really intense in bursts. You know, um, like when when I when I was you know when you're playing, you know, the night before an AVP match, or that you know like when you're preparing for that, you know, or when when I played overseas, you know, uh, when you get into playoffs, those two three weeks sometimes feel like two months. Um, but it, you know, as a head coach, um, the thing I'm trying to get better with is um, and learn how to manage better is it just never ends, right? There's uh, even now season just ended and, you know, the, the transfer portal is going nuts. And so it's uh, figuring out how to, how to recharge your batteries is I think uh, going to continue to be something I need to focus on. So I'll, I mean, even, okay. So even just going on that big uh, with the transfer portal, transfer portal and, you know, the D one period being dead, uh, you know, extended period. Um, what's, What's been the biggest challenge with trying to prep for next year, or even we'll say a couple years down the road, since all of the hands-on stuff, for the most part, is you know not allowed. Yeah, the, well, the biggest challenge hopefully is behind us, and that you know this whole year was uh, up until a couple months ago was really the challenge was, are we even going to have a season? You know, and so even last summer, talking to European players who were. They're shut down. We're shut down. We don't even know if the borders are going to be open. You're, you don't even know what you're selling. You're like, it's not like, hey, see you in August and everything's going to be great. It was kind of just these conversations of kind of like, well, we'll see. <laughs> um, and so just the certainty of having a season has helped a lot. Um, you know, the your, your question is a little bit more about like recruiting like for future years. Yeah, or, yeah just okay, kind of how you've been able to um... – We'll say plan out as efficiently yeah, as possible. The you know the recruiting you know we're going to be able to go back out again in, in June and so a year ago we had at least had seen the majority of the you know the players on our list, um, but we hadn't had necessarily any FaceTime with them and so um, you know we've I think the whole world has gotten more comfortable with Zooms and. Um, and recruiting and doing things virtually, but there still is, it's not the same as the connection you make in person. It's not the same as going out to dinner with a family or sitting in their living room and, um, and really, and really feeling like you made this great connection. And, um, and also, you know, the players coming in really feel like they are really connected with the girl, current girls on the team. So that, that all has, uh, hasn't been ideal. Um, but you know, moving forward, fortunately, we'll be able to go back out and and I can when I when I talk to this next group of uh, recruits, I can hopefully be able to say, hey, I you know I enjoyed watching you play last weekend or make statements like that. Yeah, I know it's um, I've started getting into a little bit more of the the writing side of um, rankings and mm -hmm. within South Carolina, and I know that's been now starting to make arrangements to go to tournaments and watch people and do recruiting, but in a different way. 
you know, kind of just let's get stats. Let's let's see who's quote unquote the top. We'll say one hundred and fifty in the state for their their class. And um, I know it's it was strange to start seeing limited people within arenas, and then um, no people, no spectators within arenas, and then to actually be with within that environment, and then to go watch. Um, uh, a spring match was odd to have almost no one watching a spring match, which was weird to me. Um, I remember, you know, I had plenty of coaching friends that would go watch the pit games or watch Duquesne play and, you know, they're packed and there are just certain schools that for some reason cannot fill it or they don't have that same kind of fan base. So I know it's, I think it's been a huge hit to a lot of these programs, especially when you have was um, Stanford men's volleyball, whenever they, they had to go through all that. And how, how are you guys dealing with that when it comes to practices, following protocols and what's, has it been difficult or has it just been, um, we'll say manageable right now? Is it, or is it more like a waiting game? In terms of how we've dealt with protocols or in terms of no fans or both? Uh, both. Okay. So the protocols part, uh, what, you know, was took some getting used to. And for us, we were, we've been going, I mean, the girls came back in early July of last year. And so, um, you know, all that, that stuff changed bit by bit, but I think that was all, you know, people got pretty comfortable with that stuff. Um, and so by the springtime, it felt a lot more normal. Um, in terms of the fans, that was something that we were very intentional about uh, making sure that we were our own fans. And we, you know, we watched uh, the NBA in the bubble and, and noticed how much more enthusiastic the coaches were than than in regular NBA seasons, how much more the bench was jumping up and down and cheering. And, and so we, we just trained it and we, we, we decided that we were going to, you know, try to be the best bench in the country. And I think we were, especially in, the, in our championship run. And, um, you know, we, we of course had fans there at the end, but um, we just, we just thought, thought, Hey, if, if we're not making ener- like the energy for each other, no one's going to, and this is going to feel like the twilight zone. And so, uh, we tried really hard to to be uh, to be cheerleaders more than normal. Yeah. Now I know it's it's it, it's it's hard, and I don't I don't put all the pressure on coaches, especially myself, for trying to run a team. But um, when it comes for creating that team dynamic and the basically the image of the team or the identity of the team, how how do you as a coach start? producing that and cultivating it to create that environment cultivating a team dynamic or what i don't understand the question um getting uh getting them all together to kind of understand and buy in and um, create that competitive uh team yeah well we uh we work on it every day and we try to make there there is an element of uh, education of understanding why we want to be competitive and why why discomfort is good 
and how learning happens. Um, but mostly it's, uh, you know, it's just modeling it every day and, you know, modeling, competing and, um, you know, and then, you know, at this point, you know, when we, I think we have the, it's, it's, it reinforces itself with our older players and they see the girls that come into our program to see how competitive our practice gym is. And, um, and when it slips a little bit, that's the, when the coaches step in and, and, and kind of remind uh, the team of who we want to be. So what's been your uh, coaching philosophy or has it, has it changed? Has it stayed the same since you started? Um, it's been the same uh, the, about the last 10 years. There's been maybe one change, but, I, the effort fundamentals and trust are kind of the three pillars. And in the last few years, I've added uh, gratitude as, um, as arguably the fourth. And so, um, you know, how deep you want me to go into this as deep as you want to. Okay. So yeah, the, the effort part is um, just my belief that um, it's the coach's job to control the, uh, the effort at which we play. And so, um, you know, if, and sometimes the effort is, you know, in a slower pace, Joel is just greater focus. Sometimes it's defensive effort running hard and going to the floor. Um, but just to make sure that we're, our, our effort level is um, at a level win. Uh, the fundamentals part is just that we believe that, um, that in training in, in developing really skilled players over having some great system, we like our systems, we believe in them, but, um, we always are developing skills and that comes from just playing at a high level and, and, and knowing that, you know, when you get to the highest level, the, the middle blockers for the Brazilian national team are good setters, you know, they can do everything. And so just, just every day working on fundamentals um, and then just developing a culture of love and trust is um, something we're always working on. And, um, and, and, you know, between, you know, trusting the coaches, players, trusting players um, on the court, off the court. And, and ultimately, you know, when we get in a, you know, a, a player gets in a really important moment in the game, we want them to be, you know, playing from a place of trust that they're going to get the job done. But all that, uh, we try to sprinkle gratitude over all that because um, none of it's any fun unless you're grateful for what you have and the people you're around and, um, we have a, you know, as as coaches and volleyball players, and what we do is um, we're very privileged to be able to do what we do, and and so just to uh, to practice being grateful for each other is uh, seems to be um, the magic dust that helps us uh, helps us especially when we're you know when it becomes a grind. Yeah, and I know it's it's always it's always easier I've noticed with athletes when they can kind of lean on you. And you, they don't have to worry about if they have an off day or something that, that they can, they have someone that can kind of get them out of that funk or they can, you know, get someone that can push them back in and kind of give them that nudge they need. Well, we, uh, we, we don't allow off days here. We only, we only allow off moments. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's, that's a lot easier to, <laughs> to sell. Um, <laughs> Or, or if you're going to have a bad day, you at least need to have a good bad day. Yep. <laughs> how good, how good can your bad day be? And that's the one thing always, um, you know, do you want, do you want 10 seconds to ruin 86,400, you know, out of the day? Yep. And that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's where it's always huge. I always try and get it to be like a, um, 
your 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 fun getaway. Like this yep. is where you this is where you're allowed to screw up and learn. It's not you're not going to get truly penalized like life will sometimes. Right. So, what's been so just to take a step back? Oh, oh not really a step back, but to to get back towards your coaching staff. Um, I know D one, especially with some of the mid majors and the lower majors, um, with their assistance is there's a big turnover rate. Obviously, some people use certain places as uh, stepping stones, or they spend so many years. Um, what's it been like to have your coaching staff with you for as long as they've been? It's been one of the, you know, the the true blessings of running this program is having. Uh, you know, I you know I hear, I guess the nicest thing I can say about my staff is. Um, you know, you hear a lot of coaches talk about how lonely it is to be a head coach. And uh, and certainly there's moments where there's it's all on you. But um, I, I certainly have not felt that the way that other coaches have, because I feel like I have it's my assistants and I are in it together. And um, I've been I've been lucky to uh, to keep Kellen and Lindsay with me for a long time. And um, I've had obviously some turnover with volunteers and and director of ops, which of course, that's as it should be. People want to move up, um, but I think it's just uh, it's it's been meaningful for me on a personal level. But it's also been um, I think it's helped um, to have a, a more stable, you know, program where um, you know we're not always, you know, the girls are trying to learn how to do things, but it's not always the coaches trying to learn how to do everything at the same time. Yeah. So it's nice to it's nice to have people that know how we want to do stuff. Yeah, and I know I'm I'm sure that that makes your job so much easier, a lot more fluid, and a lot more enjoyable to actually go through. And then you you don't have to continually do that almost like a rehire retraining year and year and year. Um, when and this isn't one of those and this is where I I like to to see. The, the top you know top 25 where I feel those coaches are or even we'll say top 50 those coaches aren't looking to be I want to be the next you know Karch Karai or the next whoever who's winning a national championship it's we're at the point now where we need to cultivate a program in a way where we promote a certain thing and we're trying to attain you know the same level as everyone else above us or around us. It's not about, I want to get to a certain level and get to a certain school. And I think that's where, that's what draws me in to talk to certain coaches is to really see what pushes you mentally and internally and how do you find those little, those edges? How do you find those, those like 1% above your opponent? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I was never someone that, you know, ever even wanted to coach in a power five or it was never even on my radar. I just, I did have aspirations to be a head coach someday. I didn't care if it was men's or women's volleyball. Um, but mostly I just, uh, you know, I, I love volleyball and I love people. And so I, you know, what, what motivates me are the relationships. Uh, and then also, um, you know, the, I think the 1% better here and there, what you're talking about, you know, if I've done that, I think that just comes from a place of, 
I, I'm a curious person, you know, and, um, you know, I like, I like the, the challenge of trying to do something different or more creative or, or get better faster than, than other people. Um, and so uh, that, that never ends, you know, that's not, that's uh, we're we're changing stuff in our program all the time, and so those those are the two things that um, that that motivate me the most. I'd say is the people, and then just the the creativity part of it. Yeah, I think that's what what drives real coaches. I believe it's not a paycheck. I mean, the paycheck's nice, yeah. but it's it's uh, even even the coaching since I've had in college were volunteer assistants, but they were it was the experiences that I loved more than anything else. I mean, Mm -hmm. I knew I had to find other ways of income, which wasn't a problem. I wasn't, wasn't worried about working extra hours, but it was, it was the sole fun of connecting with other people, meeting people I wouldn't have normally met. Um, but I got to be within environments that pushed me. I got to see people that I thought at the time that I was like, I don't even belong in this room. But it was fun. It was fun to be in there and have that respect just because I walked in. And I think that's where um, a lot of young athletes are kind of scared of that. You know, they, they see these head coaches or they see these, these you know, Division One players and they get intimidated. Yeah, well, from I, I agree with your statement about, you know, real coaches. You know, and I think a lot of people, youth coaches – coach because because it's a social networking and and uh and they enjoy it and which is great you know but you like i you can you can tell pretty quickly and you know in like in the city of pittsburgh i just all of a sudden i'll have like you know there'll be someone that'll come along and they'll just be hanging around my practice all the time asking questions and uh, it'll be like okay this this person's a little different they really want to learn and um and so yeah I'm, i'm a big advocate of um for coaches to go to other other gyms and um, pick people's brains for sure. Now, when you were when you were playing overseas, um, what were some of the biggest things that playing professionally taught you? So, well, I mean, I learned. I mean, I just learned so much over there. I was there. I was in Europe for five years. Um, you know, in the first couple of years, this is you know pre cell phone. And so I was, uh, you know, the, when I wasn't, uh, there was no, like, just be on your internet talking to people at home or, you know, there's, there was internet cafes. I'd go and email some people from time to time, but I was pretty much immersed. So everywhere I went, I had to either learn the language and the culture, or I was, I was pretty much going to be a lonely guy. So, um, so culturally I just learned a ton. I learned other languages and, um, and I learned, um, you know, I learned how tough being a pro athlete is, you know, like, because truly in college, I think I was spoiled because you have people all around you that really care about you as a person and want to see you get a degree and see you get a job. And, um, you know, but not that people don't care about you professionally, but you're hired to win and do something and, and, um, and there's, and there's a, a price that comes with that. Um, so I learned some, some tough lessons about the real world of, of pro sports. Um, and then of course, you know, I was just playing on different teams with, you know, I had, 
Spanish head coaches, uh, a coach from Macedonia, a Brazilian, um, a coach from Iran. But I just, I just, I got to learn like, you know, and I think every coach has something great to offer. So I just got to, you know, men's volleyball especially is very, um, you know, there, there, at least when I was playing, wasn't a huge amount of deviation in how we played. It was similar systems and training styles. And, um, and so just going over there and, and, and totally different practices and it, totally different concepts of like how to perform skills. And so I, I was able to, you know, pick the brains of a lot of different um, great coaches in different cultures. Yeah. Now has, so from, just from hearing experiences from other players, uh, do you feel that being a pro player has really changed when it comes to playing in another country? Or do you think just technologies made it more accessible? Do I think it's changed since I've played? Yeah. A ton. Because I, I, pros now, you can go over and like you can live in um, Italy for, you know, eight months and never be in Italy other than practice. You go to, you know, you go to practice, you like, you eat some food and then the rest of the time you're in Cyberland or you're, you're just, you're, you're, you're talking to people back home, you're playing video games or you're not really forced to uh, immerse yourself in the culture other than when you're with your team. Um, and so I think that, I mean, that started to happen just at, towards the end of my time there. My last, like two years I had a cell phone and the internet in a laptop in my room. So I, th I think it's changed a ton. Um, but, you know, in terms of there's still a lot that's the same, right? You're, you know, I think a lot of people have an idea of playing um, overseas. That's they think of like uh, the NBA or major league baseball and um, they equate it to something they see in the U S but it's probably a lot more like minor league baseball. It's uh, you're a big deal in your little town. You spend a lot of time on a bus with a bunch of bunch of guys, um, and so it's a you need to love volleyball to do it, and it, it, that's for sure. Do you think it's still? Um, I mean, I feel I feel like volleyball is getting a lot more traction, especially with um, men's volleyball, uh, but with professional in general. Um, I started looking up various major league sports recently um rugby being one of them and never really realized that some of the pro circuits that actually exist and mm -hmm. with the you know the um nvl and a couple other um organizations that have popped up throughout the last 10 years what do you think is really on the horizon for volleyball when it comes to the semi-pro professional side well, I don't know, but I hope it looks a little something like what happened, you know, with, with soccer and the, you know, the two biggest sports in the world are volleyball and soccer. And there was, you know, I were even, I think 15, 20 years ago, you still had a lot of Americans questioning, you know, would soccer last, you know, uh, you know, but that's totally gone now. Um, uh, you know, and so, you know, certainly my hope is that Americans figure out how great of a, a sport this is and and um and the pro leagues that start are, are able to continue to to grow and and um and so that kids grow up with you know seeing it around them more yeah and that's what i've noticed more when i want to watch some of the um 
semi-pro and pro clubs. You know, their their stadiums are packed. There, it's almost just like watching TV, and it's yep. not, it's not, you know, this extra thing you have to go find. I mean, I th- I really feel like with athletics, especially with volleyball, is it was a little bit more mainstream, and you didn't kind of have to beg and pick and choose the times and you know, go out of your way, which I think was great for the Olympics because I think beach volleyball really started to explode once the men's and women's pairs started placing and winning and then the men's Olympic team, the women's Olympic team, and it really started to take off when it got more television time, which sadly is how it is. But it's it's really cool just to see how so much of the culture o- overseas I admire more when it comes down to athletics. Just because they're a lot more passionate in the way they do things they're a lot more deliberate. There's a purpose. And I I notice it whenever I talk to foreigners on how they talk and how they act. Just because when they speak, they use the direct definition of the word. There's no, you know, double standard to it. You know, if they're saying something, they're using it for what it's meant. And... For me to see that, it kind of tells me a little bit more about what I would want to be involved in. I want to be around that. So when when you were around it, did you get the same feeling? Yeah, I think I know what you're saying. I think there's a, you know, there's more of a language associated with being a professional, especially in Europe. Like they have, a, and there's a, like an accepted culture about it. I, you know, the idea like. Um, you know, the idea in the, in the U.S., if you, if I, we know, when I tell people when I was playing professionally that, hey, what do you do? I say, I play volleyball professionally in Europe. You know, usually just the answer would be like, wow. You know, or then they'd ask questions or, you know, it would, so it was a positive reaction, but, you know, inevitably it was like, it would be like, what are you going to do when, so, okay, well, what are you really going to do, you know, when that's over? And I think in Europe, you know, they, they call it, you know, like for, you, they, they say you are a sportsman or a sportswoman. Again, that just means that you make your living playing sports. And so then there's there's just a language about that and, and certain expectations. Like typically in Europe, people play on on Saturday. And so, you know, like, you know, if you're a sportsman, you, you know, you'd, everyone in the community knows that you go out Saturday night after the game. And like then the rest of the week you're training, you're not, so they wouldn't expect to see you out at a club the night before, or there's a certain profession. There's, there's an idea of this is their place in our community and our society. And here's what they do. And everyone accepts that that's the profession. I think a little bit more than, um, you know, I think we maybe look at it more like almost like, like it's Hollywood or something. We don't actually understand it as the job pro athletes do. Yeah. And I've noticed, um, Handball is another big one as well over there. And just with how they follow their athletes, it's different too. It's almost like how people follow athletes over here with football and baseball. And I think for me, it's wanting to see that shift, not so much to take away from the other you know, major sports, but just to give it a little bit more light, you know, just to kind of grow the, you know, grow the game a little bit more. And when... 
when you're recruiting, um, and I know all coaches kind of have their, their connections, you know, here and there. Um, when you're recruiting athletes from overseas, do you see, do you have that, that, that different connection with them through the sport? And, you know, is it because of your time playing overseas? Yeah, well, certainly, if, for sure, um, yes, yes, and yes. I, and I think right away, you know, when I talk to someone about coming here and I tell them, yeah, I played in Europe for five years, I know what it's like to be in it, learning a new culture, a new language, um, and I'm going to help you through that. I think that's, I think that's meaningful. Um, you know, we've had numerous uh, internationals, and it's, it always adds a great element to our team, and um, so, yeah, that, but I do think that, you, you know, I, I, you know, I speak Spanish pretty well. So when I was recruiting our Puerto Rican, that was, a in the early days, a good connection. Um, but, you know, I'm certainly not a, you know, a, a Croatian recruiting Croatians, you know, so it's, I, you know, I know that I'm still who I am, but I, I do think that, um, coaching internationally, them, you know, the stuff I've done with USA and then also playing abroad um, maybe helps them know that I understand their world a little bit better. Now, is coaching professionally something you'd want to do in the future? Or was that ever something on your mind? It, it still is. It's probably at this point something I'd want to do. Uh, not in, uh, you know, I have a two-year-old son, so I think I got 16 years until he's in college. So it's, it's probably a ways off. <laughs> uh, if you, so if you had a choice, where would you, where would you prefer to go? Like, um, we'll say which, I, which country? Cause I've heard. Yeah, I would lived in Spain for three years. So I would love to go back and, and live in Spain again. Um, but then there's, there's a number of places also that I would, you know, that would be just fine as well that, that I've traveled to or visited. So, so, um, I know me and you both kind of have to, we have our things, we have to get moving. So it gets kind of as our last word, um, what, what advice would you give to those at, uh, not, not so much to the athletes, but more to the coaches and people that are getting into the profession, um, on their aspirations and dreams if they want to become that power five or if they want to just be a coach collegiately? Yeah, the, the, the main advice I, I give is, um, is just to keep learning a ton and, 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 and working on yourself and not so much, I think, where I see younger coaches get caught up is when they worry too much about what their path is uh, to get something. And so like, uh, and they see like being a, maybe a power five head coach as a result. Um, and I, and I don't know a whole lot of power five head coaches that set out to do it. It was just, they just really loved doing it and they coached a ton and then just opportunities came up. And I, you know, I coached in the NAI before I came here and I coached men's volleyball. And, um, there's a lot of great jobs out there at smaller schools and, um, so I would tell young coaches, worry about yourself, worry about learning, getting better, uh, and be very open to having a great life at a lot of different levels. Okay. All right. Well, Coach Fisher, I appreciate your time. Thank you again. Um, I wish you guys all the best. Um, I know this year wasn't exactly what you guys wanted, but um, it was great watching you guys throughout throughout the tournament. 
and uh, just hoping for that title next year. And hopefully, if you guys come down here to Coastal Carolina, um, we'll say, we'll hope and pray. Um, or if I'm somehow able to get up there, I definitely want to come in and watch you guys play. Um, but thank you again, and good luck with everything. Great. Thanks, Anthony. This is fun. All right. You have a good day.